Congratulations, this is your day. You're off to great places, you're off and away. You have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what you know and you are the one who'll decide where to go. You'll look up and down streets, look them over with care. About some you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down any not-so-good street. Dr. Seuss, oh, the places that you'll go. And how so often we wish that that would be true, that we would look at an opportunity that is presented to us that we know is not an opportunity. We should go down that street and we would make the intelligent choice with the brains that we have in our head. You know, that definition of intelligence really at its root means to be, decide between two things. And we would often hope that when we have to decide, we would choose the better of the two things. But we know that that is not always the case in life. We don't always exhibit self-control. We know that there are many choices that we make in life that are tragic, that are horrible, that are evil. There are those choices that we make that overcome us in their abilities, addictions we call them, whether it's alcohol or food or drugs or shopping or pornography or the gain of wealth. We know that there are priorities that we don't put in their proper perspective, work versus our family or choices of me before anyone else. All of them show to us a lack of self-control. Well, as we are in our last installment of our summer series, Weepers to Leapers, we look at the fruit of the Spirit that so often in our lives we wonder how that can be produced in order that we might live as children of God. Let's look at that screen and say together these words. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, Webster defines self-control in the following words. The ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires, or the expression of them in one's behavior, especially in difficult situations. You know, we know as we would look at the scriptures, it seems to be a roadmap for lack of self-control and bad decisions all throughout the history of the nation of Israel. We see and we think about people like Jacob and Esau, David and Bathsheba, Samson and Delilah. And we know as we look at the scriptures what the source of the problem is in our lack of self-control that it goes back, in fact, to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and it goes back to the choices that they made. We know that sin has entered the world through their fall, through what they did, and all of us are affected by that sin. And so we spend our lives almost imitating their very words to God when he said, what is it that you've done? 
We have excuses that we make up when we find a lack of self-control, when we've made choices and gone down that street that we shouldn't have gone. We say things like, I'm just human. I'm a victim of circumstance. It's just the way that things are. Or like Eve, we say, the devil made me do it. We'll do anything but own up to the responsibility that we have made a choice that we should not have made, that we have done something that we know we could have done otherwise. So often it costs us, and so often we are caught in the lure of those things around us. There was a young boy and girl, Johnny and Sally, who went to stay at their grandfather's and grandmother's farm for the summer. When they got there, Grandpa gave Johnny a slingshot. He'd never had one before. He told him to practice and to learn to use it. Johnny was somewhat frustrated with that gift because he realized he wasn't very good. He went out into the woods usually every day to practice, to aim at something, a squirrel or something, would miss, couldn't even hit the tree, just frustrated with his lack of aim. One night on the way back to dinner, as he was coming by the barn, he picked up a stone and just randomly pulled back the slingshot and let it fly. Well, he happened to hit Grandma's pet duck in the head, and he killed it instantly. He was shocked. He didn't know what to do. Panic came over him. He took the duck, and he hid it in the woodpile, and as he turned to go into the house, he noticed his sister Sally leaning against the barn, watching him. She didn't say a word. They went in to dinner, and nothing more happened. Well, the next day at lunch, as they finished up, Grandma said to Sally, Sally, help me with the dishes now. And Sally looked at Grandma and said, Oh, Grandma, Johnny told me this morning he wanted to be the one to help you with the dishes. And she looked at him, leaned over, and whispered, Remember the duck. So Johnny stayed and did the dishes. Later that afternoon, Grandpa came in and said, I want to take the kids fishing so they can enjoy this beautiful summer day. Grandma said, no, no, I, I need Sally here to help me get dinner ready. And Sally said, oh, Grandma, no, Johnny wanted to help with dinner. He told me that. And she leaned over and whispered, remember the duck. So Sally went fishing. Well, this went on for day after day, Johnny doing Sally's chores, somewhat of a slave to whatever she wanted to have done. And finally, it was more than he could take. He went to Grandma and he said, Grandma, I have to make a confession to you. I killed your pet duck. She looked down at him and smiled and said, Johnny, I know that. I was standing at the kitchen window the night that you did it. But I wanted to see how long you would let Sally make a slave out of you. You see, so often in our lives, as we've made bad choices, that's exactly what the devil would like to do to us. To bring up again and again those things in our lives that we have done to say, remember this. Why would God love you? Why would God forgive you? Your life is black. How can you ever be a Christian? Somebody who claims to be redeemed. You've done such terrible things. Paul talks about that today in our epistle of being a slave to sin and what that meant to us. To be someone who is controlled by those lusts and desires and controlled by the one who is behind those impulses put before us, the devil. 
He talks about sin not being our master. And really, as we look at that word self-control in Galatians, that is the root meaning to that word in the Greek. It has to do with that which is master over you. Jesus says to us in today's gospel, you cannot serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other or love one and hate one. You have to be controlled by one or the other. And while he is alluding and talking about money, it goes to many other things in our lives. Not just the lure of money and how it can take hold of us, but all things that we could have come at us that cause us to show this lack of self-control. What is our master? Is it going to be God or is it going to be something else? For to show devotion to any other thing in our lives is to let that thing be the master over us. When Paul talks about not being slaves to sin in the epistle today, he's talking about something that has happened to us. He makes the image to us of a kingdom that has been stored. We have a kingdom where there is a throne room, and in the center of that throne room is the one who is master, who is Lord, who controls the rest of us, and that is the soul. And then there is the outer region, what Paul calls the realm of the flesh. And through our baptism, Jesus Christ has come into our lives, has stormed the inner throne room, has kicked out the devil and his power in our lives, and he has become the one who reigns as Lord and Master. You know, that word master also in the New Testament Greek is the word kurios, where we get the word Lord, the one who is our Lord, the one who is over us. But the devil has been removed to the outer works of our kingdom. What Paul says is the realm of the flesh. And so he wants to continue to use all those things in that realm, the lusts and the desires around us, to try and once again control us. But Paul says this, we have been crucified with Christ. We are dead to that former Lord and Master of our lives. We are dead to those things that would control us. Christ is now the one who is the center. We are alive to God. We are no longer slaves to sin. You know, since we are in Weepers to Leapers and we've talked a lot about different plants and things, I thought I'd show you a plant this morning or the fruit of a plant that has kind of that same thing. It's the next picture on the slide. This is a plant that the inside is highly, highly valued in our world and in our lives. The outer side is used, ground up, it's worthless, it's not important, no one would ever want it. That is a cacao pod, and the inside is what we get chocolate from. An incredible thing, the inside is of high value. But the outside of a cacao pod, like I said, ground up, used as fertilizer or mulch somewhere. So it is with Christ who has taken the inside of our lives, who is in control now of our souls. That is the seat and the center of our lives, moved and motivated by his love and his grace. And the outside, this flesh, this realm of the flesh that Paul's talking about, is worthless. 
We know that someday this flesh will be laid in the dust of the earth. And as Paul said in Corinthians, that the mortal must take on immortality. But until it does, we have battles that go on in our lives. Battles for self-control. To make the choices that are right and good in our lives. How are we to do that? How are we to exhibit self-control with Christ as the center of our kingdom ruling over us? Paul says that we are to count ourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. We are to present ourselves as those who have been brought from death into life, offering ourselves to God because of Christ reigning into us. This is renewal of our baptism daily that Luther talks about. How we must drown the outer, the part that is worthless, the part that the devil would like to control with its passions and its desires and its lusts and its all other things and try to take over the kingdom once again. We drowned it in the waters of our baptism and we rise again knowing that Christ has placed himself on the throne of our lives. We present ourselves to the Spirit that he might grow fruit. And presenting ourselves to the Spirit is nothing more than to be in the Word. To let the Spirit's work flow through that Word into our lives that he might bear fruit in us. For Paul offers us a promise when we see a lack of self-control in our lives. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master. We know who it is that truly reigns in our lives. But we also know there are battles that we fight. It's what we call the realm of being both saint and sinner at the same time. We are torn and there are battles that are fought against us to try and be our master, to try and take control over us, to try and lead us down a road that shows a lack of self-control that we could just enjoy the passions of that fleshly realm. But there is that promise. Sin shall no longer be your master. And sometimes in those battles, just like Johnny, we draw back because we've seen what we've done and the way that we have made poor choices. And we forget then the forgiveness that's been offered to us when we've gone down those roads, when we've made those choices. And we get lost in our sin, forgetting the one who has redeemed us at such a price. But we have the promise, the promise that the Spirit who lives in us, the Spirit given to us at our baptism will produce fruit in our lives, fruit that will last, fruit that is the fruit of repentance, fruit that is the fruit of self-control. You know, we've gone through many weeks in Weepers to Leapers, and we've looked at joy and kindness, goodness and faithfulness. We've looked at patience and looking now at self-control. We know that these things are not of our own strength and power, but are a result of being connected to Christ through our baptism that it is the Spirit who will bring these fruits about in our lives, who will give evidence of who it is that reigns in our hearts and in our souls, the one who has redeemed us by the cross. We have that promise that fruit will come, 
We know that it will come if we are fed on the very thing that will enable that fruit to be born. The Word of God, the forgiveness, the gifts that we celebrate here, our baptism and the Lord's Supper. I want to close with a quote from Luther that talks about our lives, that talks about the struggle that we have as weepers to leapers. Knowing that we do weep, that we do struggle, that there are those outer battles that affect our lives so much, but also the promise that we are moving forward to the day when we will be renewed, when life will come, when we will rise again from the dead with new bodies, when sin will no longer affect us, when we will be forever in the Lord's presence. Luther says this on the next slide. This life is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam with glory, but all is being purified. This is the promise that we have of the one who has redeemed us through our baptism. There will be struggles, there will be sorties by the enemy against us, there will be failures that come but the one who holds us, who has redeemed us, who has bought us with a price, has overcome the world, has overcome the devil, has overcome death, and he is faithful to complete in us what he began. Thanks be to God. Amen.